Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are listening. Uh, this is Tea Time. Um, I am one of your co-hosts, uh, Mock Deep, and joining me as always is Dan. Um, and, and as promised, uh, here is the, the second part where we're going to document our ongoing journey to better understand hormones as they relate to mental health in a more holistic kind of manner. Um, so the plan for today is to catch you guys up with where we're both at in, in terms of our respective journey. Um, we're going to delve a little bit into uh, some of the cultural differences between what we're finding here in the UK versus elsewhere in the, the world. I mean, mainly the US because they seem to be taking the lead in a lot of respects. Um, and, and we're going to delve into a few other topics. We're going to see how long it takes. We do have quite a lot of information to get through um, and, and potentially this may end up being multiples. You'll know depending on how it's uploaded or how uh, fast the next one appears. But um uh, just a quick reminder, obviously, we aren't medical professionals. If you are feeling uh, some of the symptoms we're going to discuss, do seek out help. In the first instance, if you're in the UK, by all means, have a discussion with your GP. Um, and if you don't feel you're making any traction, there are specialists out there who you can reach out to who will uh, look at that more of the hormone side of things if you're concerned. And as we're always going to advocate and as you're going to see us talk about a lot, we're always going to say get as much information as you can. Uh, to really take control of your health. So, Dan, how's the week been for you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I mean, for me personally, where I'm at now, as you know, I'm just waiting to get my blood drawn on the 6th of October, um, where I'm going to have 27 markers taken across the testosterone and many other hormones. Um, and then I'm going to go from there with any consultations with third parties, a private endocrinologist. Um, so for me, I'm just kind of just ticking along, doing being as healthy as I can be and just wait to get my blood strong. Excellent, in. excellent. Uh, so from uh, to catch everyone up on where I am, so as we discussed in the last episode, I think we touched upon the fact that we, uh, in, in the consultation I had with the specialist, he identified some concerns around uh, the, the, the vitamin balances in, in my blood and he wanted to get them uh, addressed quite quickly. So uh, I've been a very busy, busy bee, as it were, uh, for the last uh, week or so. Uh, right, so to catch you guys up, the, so my vitamin D was perilously low. Uh, I have had uh, an injection privately of 100,000 IUC. Um, I also am on a tablet program as well of um, 50,000, I believe. Yeah, two, two, yeah, 225,000 tablets, and that's for a few weeks. The idea being to wrap those vitamin D levels up from the levels that they were at, which was extremely low, to a more healthier range. Um, I have been following a general kind of vitamin uh, protocol from the 21st, which is to, been to consume some B12, some zinc and some magnesium, uh, as well as obviously that, you know, making sure that I'm doing my, my D3 tablet ramp ups. Um, I'm waiting for confirmation about some of the gene mutation stuff I mentioned last week about the idea of how the body deals with folic acid and, and whether or not I need to take um, whether in order for me to make any progress, I need to take a, a, another supplement called um, L-methylfolate. Um, now, quite interestingly enough, getting the required dose or the suggested dose is proving to be quite difficult here in the UK. Uh, well, a topic for another time. I, I, you know, when I finally figure something out around it, I will be more than happy to share. Uh, I had some additional blood work done to get some numbers relating to thyroid, which panned out fine. They're all perfectly within normal range. 
Uh, also started some B6 as well. So in general, the, the kind of takeaway from my blood work was my vitamins across the board, B, uh, D3, uh, were, were, were not anywhere where they needed to be. Um, and just uh, sort of for full disclosure, I am a, a vegetarian. Um, I, I tend to eat more vegan, if I'm honest, uh, but I do enjoy the odd bit of dairy here and there. Um, and, and certainly I would say I have a quite a varied diet, but clearly there's room for improvement. I'm generally, other than, like I say, the D3 and, and concerns around um, serum folate levels and things, which is relates to, to sort of B9 and B vitamins in general, I'm, I'm just taking a more kind of... Um, cautious approach and making sure that all those all those levels are where they need to be um so my intention is pretty much from the beginning of october we're recording this at the end of september but pretty much from the beginning of october is to do a rather intense kind of strength training program and i'm basically going to throw everything i can at it guys uh, for the for the data for the data uh to, to kind of look back at uh bloods which i'm going to get done in six weeks time from the beginning of October and then 12 weeks time towards the end of the year, if I can, uh, to give you guys, you know, what happened along the journey by uh, following this corrective vitamin approach. The suggestion from the professional I spoke to is to give it three months of, of kind of throwing everything at it and then we'll reevaluate whether or not any, there's anything more to be done. So with that said, that wraps up pretty much where, where we're both at, at the moment right now. And, um, you know, I suppose the conversation really is is going to be to talk about the, the kind of broader differences around um, the differences in culture relating to hormone treatment for, for, for the testosterone side of things. And just in, in general, there's, there seems to be quite a difference. So what I'll do is I'm going to hand over to Dan, but I'm, I'm kind of going to, I guess, start the conversation with what, you know, when, when initially I spoke to you about the kind of symptoms I was experiencing and, and the things I was exploring on my own journey, uh, you, you, you explained to me a lot of these kind of cultural differences. So do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when we first started discussing it, you wasn't aware that I went through something quite similar a couple of years ago. Um, so obviously, I give you all the information that I had. And at the time, the first thing I noticed when discussing with um, any endocrinologist was the differences between the UK and the US, just off doing research online. So what I actually did, I actually reached out to someone in a clinic in the US and paid them to um, kind of just go through what they'd usually go through with a clinic, uh, a person in the clinic face-to-face, -face, but over email, um, just so I could kind of understand how they deal with it, um, which was, it was, it was enlightening really, um, how they deal with it. I know it's on a more privatized basis, but versus the NHS. So, I mean, for, in terms of ranges, I've actually taken a look at what the NHS, um, monitor and versus what the US monitor, um, from the health services, I've all, I've converted it all to NMOL because that's when you get um, your bloods taken in the UK. That's what they usually measure your testosterone results in. Um, so in the US, for example, it used to be anything under 16 NMOL would be classed as you need to be looked at for testosterone replacement. And that's recently changed to 12 NMOL. Um, in comparison for the, for the for the UK, there's not an official published guideline from the NHS, but me, myself, I had about eight NMOL, nine NMOL originally, and I was struggling to get any treatment or even to be taken seriously. And looking online, you can see people with as low as six NMOL um, still aren't receiving treatment, and that's off consistent results. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the US is 12 NMOL, and they'll three or four consistent results, and they'll start looking into treatment um, versus half of that in the, the, the NHS, and you, you're still struggling. 
Is there kind of any information about what aspects people are really struggling with? Is it to get some sort of buy-in or belief that that is actually the, the root of the problem? Yeah, so the first thing that I was told when I was discussing it was that they were reluctant to give treatment because of steroid abuse. And if you read any forums online in the UK, you can see that is quite consistent. Um, that they are worried about you if you've abused things in the past, they ask you, and then if you're going to abuse this in the future. Now, well, a lot, a lot of the things well across the NHS, and this is across the documentation you can actually find on the NHS website, is that if you are experiencing similar, similar uh, symptoms such as uh, poor sleep, anxiety, depression, if it, things that you believe may be something to do with your low testosterone, they always push you towards the mental health uh, help um, and kind of therapy and treatments rather than analysing actual hormones. They won't even take your hormones unless you push them to do it. So, I mean, that's something we should... Well, I want to say is that if you are experiencing and you're going to the NHS and getting nowhere, you should at least ask them to to take your bloods on a regular basis for all your hormones, which is what you've done yourself and obviously found some other uh, vitamins and hormones which you're looking into, which you wouldn't have done. Previously. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, like, I'm definitely going to sound like a broken record, but you're probably going to get this as a broken record from us regardless, which is take responsibility, take accountability. And, and yes, yeah, so like, I'm not saying be sceptical. These, you know, medical professionals do go through a lot of training, but, um, you know, we have to understand we're at a place in time at the moment where, you know, there is more and more evidence emerging every day from scientific communities about the idea that, you know, having a good kind of balance in your hormone system is just going to promote really good health and and give you the best opportunity for lifestyle going forward. Um, what I will say, uh, based on, on some of the, the points that you've raised, is I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in agreement across the board. Um, and But the, the thing I think I worry about sometimes in terms of engaging the NHS is actually getting the information from them because I almost fear... Uh, a little bit that there's a culture of you know they don't want you to have the information in case you do kind of do that google detective work and all the rest of it and and start getting concerned but i also think that you know it, it is your information and you should be entitled to access to it you know um but it, it's one of these things where you know there needs to be more of a, a stronger kind of promotion of the idea that yes you know uh, mental health treatments are good you know, like kind of like cognitive treatments are good to kind of get your thinking in the right place. But, you know, if they're trying to sling you on antidepressants and things like that, then it, it, there are other things to kind of explore, which I'm going to touch on a little bit as to as to why uh, the vitamin deficiencies matter and, and explain how that how these vitamin deficiencies play in the in the hormone system, at least how i've come to understand it as it is and, and and my understanding is increasing every week i'll just you know preface that but um you know it, it, leading on to what treatments we have or what treatment options there are do you want to go a little bit into that as well dan yeah i mean there's a massive again even if you do get treatment in the uk um there's a massive difference between the us and the uk um so in the us they give you actual vials of testosterone so cypionate enthanate and propionate uh widely used um and they'll give you a 10 5 or 1 mil vial to take home which you'll get on a weekly or monthly basis and you'll inject that at home yourself um which is proven to be like the most viable option in terms of actual results and keeping your levels optimal over time um the uk they offer the the most common is nibido which is an injection 
um, which should be done every three months. Obviously, you have to go into your docs every three months to have it done. They won't let you do it from home. Um, I believe there's an onboarding process for that as well, which is they'll do it every four weeks, I think, for the first 12 weeks to, to, to build up your levels. Um, and then there's gels, which there's high risk of cross-contamination with partners. You've got to put it on every single day. Um, and most that do that experience suboptimal levels. And then there's also tablets, patches, implants. But, I mean, as far as I can see online, and uh, they were never even mentioned to me when I dis- when we uh, had discussion with private endocrinologists and with the NHS. Um, so, yeah, I, I expect those are quite rare that they're used. So, so to, to delve on some of the conversation we've had before as well is is not only the so like it the like you said the research indicates that having an injection an intramuscular inv- injection is the best way for the, the levels absolutely but like you say in the UK they give you libido which is once every so often but um, isn't there kind of uh, some better thinking that more regular like weekly uh, some of the other substances you mentioned uh, uh, require weekly injections and that gives you the best results right. Yeah, so Nibido, when they inject that, that's why they do an onboarding process every four weeks. It builds up in your system, and over time, it'll leave your system and drop down. Um, so they they say that 12, uh, 12 weeks is the optimal time to, to let it rebuild, and then it drops down over time. Now, looking online, people have been knocking it down from 12 weeks up to a minimum up to six weeks sometimes because they're literally, after the, after the sixth week, they're starting to feel the symptoms mm-hmm. again. Um, so the thing is, is like the the weight metabolizing in everyone's system is completely yeah. different as well. Okay, it's not you you could you could be fine off twelve weeks. Someone else could be fine off six weeks. So the the thing is with the nabido is that it could take you a year to become stable. Yeah, and, and that that is and the, the other problem is, is you're also putting people through like a second level of trauma potentially, like you say with the highs and lows. Is that roller coaster effect of you feel really good at the point of the initial injection, but because you're not then sustaining it, there's a risk there. And and we understand like any NHS has cost challenges and things, but sometimes it's about the quality of the treatment as well as the cost of the treatment as well. Correct. When I went private and I was using Sustanon, um, I was stable within six to eight weeks, um, and then I was at consistent dose. Yeah, and and that was it. And the, and to be honest with you, it wasn't that mm. rocky. Um, it was a rocky third, fourth week. Um, levels got too high. Um, but yeah, after after the sixth to eighth week. I was stable and fine. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll delve into um, like some of the more detailed nuances of your experience in, in one of the other, you know, kind of uh, sessions where we, we talk a little bit more about that because I think that is interesting to uh, explore the consequences and the kind of journey that people can expect when they do take it. And you've got that historical kind of knowledge as well as the fact that you're kind of going through reevaluation now as well, right? Yeah, um, I'm going to, I will go through the entire story. I've got quite a lot of detail. And obviously with myself, I've been off TRT for uh, coming on two and a half, three years. Um, I still have a few symptoms and that's why I'm going through all the process again um, of getting all the bloods drawn. So when I've got the bloods drawn and I know where I'm at now, then I'll give a full update from three years Mm. ago, everything I went through. Because I've got that uh, documented and then... We can discuss through it all to where I'm at. Very, you were very good because on. you've also got records in terms of your levels and measurements and things. So it's very, very good. But for historically, very good to see where you're at and where you're where you're going to be now, years on, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I'm, from from three years ago, every time I had my blood taken, I saved everything. So yeah, I've got everything from day dot. Cool. Okay. So so with that in mind, I'm going to touch on the vitamin side of things, and what I'm going to ask people to do is understand that I am very. Um, new to this space i'm still learning myself uh, some of this information is, is some of the things i've found in conversations with specialists so do keep that in mind um and and what 
the key takeaway or one of the reasons that when I was working with the, my, my specialist, they were keen for me to correct uh, the vitamin deficiencies, as we'll call them, is because what I didn't realize and, and what the, the specialist explained to me is the, the vitamins are actually very important precursors to hormone production. So if we look at serum folate, which whilst according to NHS guidelines figures were within normal range, mine was actually very, very low on that normal range, uh, almost uh, to the point it would have broken the threshold. Um, but what you realize, we don't realize is, you know, that has a, a wider implication in terms of, you know, uh, it's a precursor to some of the hormones uh, which are then responsible for the production of serotonin, managing cell function, managing blood flow. You know, and when you talk about quality of life, these things matter. So the idea that because of one vitamin or my inability to perhaps process folic acid, I'm still waiting for confirmation via the gene test I had done um, that it's affecting my body's ability to uh, produce, uh, you know, enough serotonin for it to kind of function as well as just, you know, day-to-day -day management, right? And then if we look at vitamin D3, there's some studies out there which talk about the fact that people who are vit D deficient um, versus those who are at, you know, optimum levels. And sometimes when they're treated, they've shown a 20% or roughly 20% improvement in, in, in testosterone production, you know, and as well as the fact that it's a, a, a regulator for other, for 200 other sort of genetic markers, you know, it's, it's understanding that these are, it's, 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 it is a system. It is an ecosystem which has to function in its entirety from beginning to end. And that's why uh, in, in, in my case, specifically, the specialist was keen for me to not only correct these deficiencies, but then maintain that correction for a long time where we can look at our, look at the blood work, see the history, see that one, it's taken effect, let's say at the six week mark, and then at the three month mark, really evaluate, well, what impact has that had? And, and then, you know, in terms of the things I need to take responsibility for, well, you know, those are the things within my control. So it's not only taking the supplements, but it's also uh, exercising as well. And, um, you know, doing some proper strength training with the occasional bit of cardio, but just upping my activity levels in general to facilitate the, the best results possible, right? Um, we, you know, there are other bits of knowledge which people may not be aware, you know, that the fact that, you know, if you are overweight, if you are carrying more sort of fat, it, it is harder for testosterone to kind of roam free and, and do its job because it can get absorbed quite easily by those fat cells, right? So it's understanding that on the one hand, you kind of need to do what you can. And some of that is doing a bit of exercise and, and the rest of it. And and then I think, you know, it's having that being open to that conversation. Like, so from my perspective, yes, I'm, I'm kind of suffering with a bunch of symptoms. Uh, and, and yeah, this is kicking the can down the road for three months, but at least I have a, a way to potentially kind of correct the, the kind of things I'm feeling and, and, and see what position that puts me in towards sort of the end of the, the, the year. Um, there is another thing that I wanted to kind of touch upon briefly, which is kind of, you know, a little bit along the lines of vitamins, and that is the importance of nutrition as well. So, you know, there is this kind of thinking of the fact that good fats are important for uh, good hormones and, and testosterone as well. You know, the idea that 70 to 80 grams of fat, roughly, depending on what your workout goals are, this isn't an absolute figure, but that, you know, having a healthy dose of fats is very good for your system as a man, right? And and in general, I would say that's probably probably true. I mean, levels and, and amounts are, are different. Um, you know, if you're strength training, you're, you may require more depending on what your particular goals are. And, but this, this mindset we got into in sort of the 90s and, and 2000s about low fat this, low fat that, and, you know, it, it, it's ultimately causing the body harm in ways that it's taken us time to really understand. I mean, 
you know, if, if we take a, uh, a little look at some zero sugar products, for example, there's evidence that's emerged that now shows that, you know, it doesn't happen to everybody, but there is evidence that shows that sometimes it causes an insulin response. And when your body is pumping out insulin without actually having anything to deal with, it causes that insulin resistance to spike, which can hypothetically, you know, lead to those sort of insulin re resistant conditions like diabetes, you know, and and it is quite a fascinating conversation that I think, you know, in the broader the broader range we need to have. So if we take myself, for example, um, I, I am currently overweight. I am currently on a weight loss journey and I was suffering from a myriad of health conditions and, and you know, in, in kind of taking accountability for all of these, some of it has meant exercising, some of it has meant changing my kind of nutritional habits. Um, you know, we'll delve more into my story uh, another time as well, you know, but it, it is one of these things where, you know, in the terms of the corrective measures, I, I will say this is what worked for me. I don't prescribe this as an absolute, but in terms of corrective measures, what I took was, um, you know, I started using, uh, this is not an endorsement. This is just what I use, the MyFitnessPal app. And I started figuring out what my macros were, you know, for, for a guy of my size and, and, and kind of the way I wanted to exercise and, and, and conduct my life as it were. Um, I've, I've kind of tied a lot of things together in terms of counting steps and all the rest of it and just trying to be more active day to day. Uh, I also adopted intermittent fasting, which corrected some of the blood sugar issues I was having. So I was suffering from, I think they, they, they said I was sort of pre-diabetic uh, a, a few months ago, but, you know, six months on, I had a, a myriad of health conditions six months ago, sort of March time. I've been intermittent fasting since uh, March of 2020. And, um, you know, a lot of those have been corrected. So in terms of blood sugar, I've been doing spot checks here and there. They've been coming out normal, you know, before and after food. They're within normal levels now as expected, nothing too perilous there. Um, and it's kind of, understanding that you know we can exercise a level of control on all of these different things to certain extents um but you know we we have these tools and we have these tablets and we have you know things like trt as well and they do serve a purpose and it's being open to understanding what is it you can do and then ultimately you know what 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 if it doesn't work then acknowledging the fact that you may need some sort of assistance as well um and and to be honest with you guys, I mean, that's probably one of the takeaways as well. It's just like I say, you know, again, repeating that message of be accountable, be responsible for your own health. Yes, you have practitioners and they are experts, um, but reach out to them more and, and really try to understand your own body as best you can. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Dan. Is there anything else you kind of want to mention or talk about? Yeah, I'll touch on the fat things a little bit more because I don't think that's as well known as like you mentioned is that fat is actually a precursor to hormones in, in women and in men and as you said in the 90s there was a, a big ad well many ad campaigns about uh, promoting sugar um, and how sugar was good for you and fat was bad for you which is why all these low fat diets came out um, when actually it's essential for food digestion and for, for hormones. Um, so yeah, I think that's quite and that's one thing that they pointed out when I was in the when I spoke to the clinic in the US as well is that how many things actually do affect hormones negatively. Um, and there are lots of studies in the US, they said of even things like plastic, but also bottled water, for example. Uh, the chemicals that are emitted from the plastic um, are proven to uh, lower testosterone. And not by massive amounts, but over time, you can imagine it, it does 
it does yeah and, and i think that factors into the fact that we're we're living in this very different way of world than maybe our bodies are engineered to right but because of that now we're having to adopt and and, and figure things out in a new way and that's why we're constantly learning similar to as you said with the low fat and promotion of sugar we then saw the the kind of war on sugar um and and promotion of low sugar alternatives which i say also has a consequence you know that hasn't really been um fully understood in, in my opinion at least at the moment right but we can only ever go on the information we have at the time and fortunately we're at a point where we're starting to get a little bit more information out there around all these different things um so this seems like a fairly natural point to kind of uh end this episode uh is there anything you really want to any, any final words dan no, that's it from okay, me Okay, and from me as well. So, you know, you will be hearing from us again. Uh, you know, I said in the previous episode, we'll try and keep it punchy. That, you know, means when there's something normally to discuss or report, we'll be here. Um, we will start potentially looking to reach out and have conversations with more specialist people uh, when, when, we've, when we've kind of gotten through at least the initial kind of information we want to give you guys. Uh, and hopefully that will add a little bit more context and, and, and in terms of your own uh, journeys to understand your health and your hormones. Uh, so until next time, guys, it's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from Take me. Take it easy.